Just grateful for our ministry partner in Raising Hope and the different organizations we get to work with to serve foster care children and, and their families. And we want to continue to be a church that invests and, and loves on those families. You know, one of the things I'll let you know about as we talk about foster care uh, is a little bit of a change that happened in our lobby. Uh, about a year ago, we made maybe one of the most groundbreaking and important announcements in the history of Calvary Community Church, and that's that we were bringing back donuts to the lobby. Um, and, and, and the riotous applause that followed, we said that uh, the, the money that goes toward those donuts uh, would be put toward Bibles, Farsi uh, Bibles, uh, for our ministry partner in Iran, uh, and that we would do that. And thousands of Bibles have been given away because of what's gone toward the donuts. Now, the donuts are free. We're not charging for them, but we ask for a donation so that we can put that money toward ministry use. And so we always ask that these wouldn't be the cheap donuts on the block, but the expensive ones, uh, because that money is going toward a good cause. Now we're going to pivot and start making that uh, those monies go toward our foster care partners. Uh, and you can see some of the ways that money gets distributed actually at the donut station. So if you haven't had a donut in a while, uh, go check it out. Go see what that money goes toward. I know for my children, the thing they get most excited about on Sunday morning is the donuts. And so they're very excited. <laughs> they want to be here for donuts. Uh, and what we've got to explain to them is how wonderful it is that this money actually goes towards something uh, like foster care ministry. So I encourage you to check that out. Uh, and then before we jump into um, our, our sermon that'll wrap up our series this morning, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to give to the weekly offering here at Calvary. You know, the, the Proverbs chapter three says it this way. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of your crops. That in other words, when we give, we're not just funding ministry here on this campus and in our community all around the world, which we are, but actually the first and foremost thing we're doing is we're honoring and worshiping the Lord. So that when we call for the offering in the midst of a church service, we're not taking a break from worship to call for offering. This is part of our worship, part of the way we honor the Lord. I want to be a man who honors the Lord with every part of my life, with my speech, with my behavior, with my family, and certainly with the money God's given me. And so this is what this command um, speaks to us, that we're called to honor and worship the Lord with our wealth. And one of the ways you can do that is through our weekly offering here at Calvary. There are many ways to give. For those of you here on campus, you can give um, online. Uh, even just the QR code on your seat will give you to our give page. Uh, the, uh, you can give on, the, on campus, you can give at the doors, at the boxes, at the kiosks, or you can give through the Calvary app. But the key is always this, that you don't give out of guilt or shame or coercion, but rather out of a generous and joyful heart that wants to honor the Lord with the money he has given you. So we invite you to give to our offering. Now I'm going to invite Pastor Sean on up to the stage, uh, and him and I are going to have a conversation here. If you're new or new to Calvary, this happens a couple times a year where we'll wrap up a season or a teaching series we're in with a conversation between Pastor Sean and myself uh, to kind of wrap up um, what has been for us a six-week teaching series on the core values of Calvary Community Church. And Pastor Sean, I know the Lord has laid a number of things on your heart that you're excited to share uh, and shepherd through with our congregation today. Well, you know, we do live in a world that has a lot of noise right now, a lot of concerns. It's a scary world. And uh, we've got Halloween coming this week where fear is going to be made uh, into fun. Um, and uh, yet, with the backdrop of some really tough stuff going on globally, and probably for many of you, tough stuff going on in your life, as I was thinking about fear this week, I came across an article that had uh, some of the strangest phobias or unique phobias, and I thought I'd share a couple of these as we got started. Some of them are quite a mouthful. Uh -huh. uh, the first one is... Arakabubirophobia. I said it. that better in the night and the six last <laughs> night. It's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. 
This is a legitimate fear. Uh, then there's one that I know you don't have, and I don't think I have either, which is bibliophobia, mm-hmm. which is the, the fear of books. Right. Mm-hmm. Fear of books. And uh, we both like to read. Although, let's see, you're 35, I'm 57, and... Um, when uh, you would look at us, you would think if there's one of us that's digital and the other that is old school, just using hard copies of the books, you'd probably think that he is the digital guy using Kindle or whatever, and I'm the hard copy guy, but it's the reverse. Yes. I've been getting rid of books and only buying uh, digital copies, so it's all right here, but you yeah, still I'm, like... I've been accumulating them. I'm a terrible millennial. <laughs> You're a terrible, <laughs> terrible millennial, but we don't have a fear of books. This next one, uh, I developed this fear just trying to pronounce it. It's hippopotamonstrosequipedaliophobia. Mm. And that is the longest word in the English dictionary, and it means the fear of long words. Mm. The fear of long words. This next one, I, I, I don't think I've met anybody who has this. This is plutophobia, which is the fear of money or wealth. Mm. I've heard of people being greedy yeah. or wanting it, but I've never heard someone say they were afraid of it. Um, this one, I think most of us have experienced some point in our lives, in, in our generation, in this era, and it's nomophobia. This is the fear of being without your mobile phone. This is big. This is big. <laughs> this is not just that you forget your phone. It's the idea that your phone battery is dying and you may not be able to use it, or that you are out of uh, service, you're out of your cell service, and so you can't use your phone. And we've gotten to the point the phone is an extension of us, and we get anxious if we can't use our mobile phones. So nomophobia. The last one, I even read an article on this this week. It was interesting. It's phobophobia, mm. which is the fear of phobias. And this article in USA Today was talking about how more and more therapists are reporting they're meeting people who would say they don't have anxiety, fear, or worry, but they're afraid right. of having anxiety, fear, or worry. So it's the phobophobia. I don't know if one of these hit into your world, and I don't know what's going on in your personal life, your family life. I do know that in our world, we've seen a lot of scary things recently. Right. And um, ultimately, we're to be the people who bring hope into our world in the midst of the mess. Um, we've seen the things going on in the Middle East with the attack uh, Hamas, uh, did back on October 7th against uh, Israel and now Israel's response to that and people worrying about what this means if this becomes a broader war. Uh, we've got the shooting this week in Maine, right. aching for the people there. Uh, we've got the incident, uh, the unfortunate tragic incident that happened with the Pepperdine yep. students just yeah, over PCH. a week ago mm-hmm. on the PCH. Um, even we're coming up on right. the anniversary, um, the milestone uh, just in a little over a week of the borderline shooting, lost one of our own, Noel Sparks. Five years since that happened. Yeah. Five years, and then, and you know, our hearts ache for what that did in our community, what it did right. in our church, and in Noel's family, of course, and the other families. But then also the the fires. Then right after that, yeah. that raged our area, and so we're not immune to the struggles and difficulties in this world. And I'm sure if we talked about our lives, our families, our marriages, our our medical things, uh, jobs, all that that we would be people who could list some fears, some things that are scaring us in this world, whether it's global or personal, there's some things that are frightening. And today we wanna talk about hope in a scary world as we kind of conclude those six uh, uh, values we've been talking about in our 2030 vision. And how do do those values play into this this scary world in which we live? We're gonna look at 1 Peter 3, 15 to 16 together. Uh, Brian and I are gonna discuss some of this and uh, we're going to talk about our scary world needs to be the hope. Our scary world needs us to be the hope-filled people Jesus called us to be. 
Our scary world needs us to be the hope-filled people Jesus calls us to be. We're not to be the ones running around like chicken little, like it's all terrible and it's all, there's no hope, there's no, we're not to be anxious or fearful. We're to be filled with hope. But how can we be filled with hope in such a scary world? And we're going to look at a couple of verses as the foundation of our discussion this morning. Yeah, First Peter chapter 3 says this. It says, always be prepared to give a defense to everyone or everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. But respond with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who slander you may not be put to, or may be put to shame by your good behavior in Christ. You know, this verse, as we were talking about it, earlier, uh, uh, Brian and I, there are a couple of parts to this verse. The first part of it is that we're supposed to be ready when someone says, why do you have hope? Why do you have peace? Why, why is there a sense of calm in your life and in your heart with all this stuff going on in your personal life, going on globally? Why is that there? And we're to respond, it says, with a defense. And that, that word means with a, like a logical presentation, a defense of why we have this hope. And so part of this is we give the reason for the hope that's in us, which ultimately is Christ. Right. And then we go to the scriptures to answer specific aspects of how we have peace and hope in this world. And then it says, but respond with gentleness and respect. So, and, and keep a clear conscience. So we're to, to do this in a way that we lay out what God's perspective is. We're talking about things in this world, things in our lives, to point to the hope we have. But then we're to make sure we do that, not in a harsh way, not like political talking heads. We're to do this in a way that is gentle and respectful. That they're asking questions of their perspective, sharing our perspective. And then it says keeping a clear conscience so that if someone says something bad about you, those who have seen you will say, well, wait, I know they disagree with us, but they're not being rude and crude and abrupt. Um, we're to be people who can explain why there's hope in us, and it boils down to Jesus, right? And then we're to be people who represent Jesus well in how we say it and how we communicate it, how we have a dialogue with others. And ultimately, we do that in such a way that if someone said something bad about us, others wouldn't believe it because it's not what they saw in us as we sought to live in love like Jesus. So this speaks of that hope and sharing it with others being beacons of hope. Right, we're gonna talk about that hope this morning in the midst of a scary world. And you know, we've rattled off a few things happening in geopolitics or in the news. There's certainly things going on in your own life and your own family, maybe health concerns or financial challenges, different things you face this week. And what happens for most of us is that we look at the world and there's maybe a few things that scare us and other things that don't. And so this morning, what I'd ask you to focus on or what are those few things that cause you anxiety that keep you up at night what, what are the few things that are really gripping your heart right now because what this sermon is meant to address is those few things it's perhaps that you look at the world and you feel good about some of the geopolitics stuff but there's some things in your home or your marriage or your children that have you gripped with fear and I think this morning what we get to do is we get to unpack how the scriptures address this here's the question we want to ask this morning it's how do we cultivate hope in our hearts when things seem out of control in the world world. And the world might mean the global world, everyone and everything going on, or it might just be in your world some things seem out of control. And Pastor Sean, you've laid out five principles that we'll walk through this morning. And the first is really simply this, that we would trust in God's sovereignty. Yeah, I think this is the foundation of our having hope. And it has to do with that God is in control. He is on the throne. He hasn't slipped off even to one side, no matter what you're experiencing, what you're seeing in the news, what you're seeing in your social media feed. Trust in God's sovereignty. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. World leaders will make decisions. We'll make decisions. People we work with, family members, there are decisions being made all the time. But ultimately, it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. 
all these different decisions are being made. And since creation, and even after Adam and Eve sinned, and the whole world went into this state of groaning and brokenness and pain, since that time forward, God has been working his eternal purpose. And his purpose will prevail. And ultimately, he's going to reconcile all things to himself through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus returns and makes all things right and creates a new heavens and a new earth, and we, we are with him forever. And at that point, Revelation 21.5 says, there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more conflict, no more cancer, no more war. We will be with him forever. And he is working his eternal purpose of reconciling all things to himself. And so we need to latch our hope that even if things sound noisy and people are making bad decisions or good decisions around us or in the world, we can trust that God is still sovereign working his eternal purpose in all of this. And I, I, um, this, this verse, just this, we talked about this week, just was a great verse to remind us of that. Right, and I think that, that, that concept of, of God's sovereignty really is the bedrock of our hope, right? That God is in control and he's got this. And, and Pastor Sean, I know for you this week, you've been burdened to really talk about one area that we've all kind of seen in our news, the headlines uh, that's been on a lot of our hearts and minds and certainly grieving us a lot. And that would be the situation in Israel. Yeah, I want to just address that for a few moments, but ask questions by folks. I've had people say to me, uh, one fellow said, you know, part of uh, uh, my family, my wife wants to take all the money out and of the accounts because it's going to be end. We should invest it in good things and just wait for Jesus to return. And I want to talk about some of that because of what she saw going on in the Middle East. And, and uh, I want to step back and just understand where Israel is historically, even geographically. You know, the nation of Israel uh, sits on the eastern rim of the Mediterranean Sea. It uh, is there in the Middle East. You can see the Palestinian areas of the West Bank and the Gaza Strip there in the midst of this. And uh, they're surrounded by Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, and Egypt. And um, as you look at that, that piece of uh, the planet has been the focus of contention for millennia. Yeah. And um, when you take that little piece of the map and you just take Israel, including those Palestinian areas, and you put it on the United States map, you can see how much space it takes on the planet. As a matter of fact, if you look at California, a state that has 40 million, just under 40 million people, the nation of Israel with just under 10 million people, actually its land fits right into California like that. And then if you go even further into Southern California and put it kind of between Los Angeles and Santa Barbara, um, with the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. If you circle the Gaza Strip and put a little star, that star is where we're sitting right now, Westlake Village. And um, if you took the Gaza Strip, which is 141 square miles, you could sit the Gaza Strip inside the Caneo Valley where we are today. Because the Gaza Strip is 141 miles, the Caneo Valley is 186 square miles. It's a very small part of the planet, and yet it has had such great focus, and there's reason for that. But I want to emphasize this, that while it's a small part of our world, God loves the people who live in Israel, both the Jewish people and the Palestinian people. And we need to understand that uh, Israel itself is a sovereign state, the only Jewish state in the world, has the right to protect its sovereignty, and when terrorist acts are 
committed against Israel, it should grieve us, and they have a right to defend themselves. But the conflict itself goes way back, even to before the nation of Israel existed. God loves all people. Jesus died on the cross, was buried and was raised for the, the people of Israel, the Jewish people. About 75% of Israel is Jewish. He died for the Palestinian people. He died for the Hamas terrorists. Jesus' death on the cross covered it all. And so we want to make sure we understand God loves all people, but there is a promise that's given to the Jewish people that is specific and I want us to understand that. If you go back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, when God calls Abraham, he says, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation, and through you all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. He says to him, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you and your people, I will curse. Now, from that great nation, that nation, the nation of Israel, becomes the cradle of the Christ child. We're going to celebrate Christmas in just a little bit. He was born in Israel. And he lived in Israel. He was a Jewish man. You look at uh, Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 3, you see his lineage. I've done some DNA tests and I don't have any uh, hint of uh, Jewish ancestry. But my Savior was a Jewish man. Right. And, uh, and we have to understand that God has a special place in his heart while he loves all people for the Jewish people because not only did the Messiah come through them, but by marking Abraham and his descendants as the one who, send the one who would be the reconciler of all things and our redeemer, Satan put his sights on destroying everything he could. And so for millennia now, Satan has done everything he could do to annihilate the Jewish people. And when we really understand that part of the biblical story, we're not talking about just geopolitical Israel. It doesn't mean we support everything geopolitical Israel does. Because just like I'm a very proud American, I'm glad I was born in this country, I'm patriotic American, I vote every time there's an opportunity to vote, vote for my conscience, for my biblical worldview. Um, I, I, I'm proud to be an American, but even the people I voted for I haven't always agreed with in the decisions they make. Right. That's not what the promise to Abraham is, is just blindly follow every policy and practice of a nation. But what it is saying is that we are to be the people who have a special place in our heart as God's people for his chosen people, the Jewish people. Not just those who are physically within the boundaries of the nation of Israel, but those who live in our neighborhoods. There's no place for anti-Semitism in the heart of a follower of Jesus Christ. That's right, that's right. No place. Yep. And we should be, as the psalmist said, praying for the right. peace of Jerusalem. Why the peace of Jerusalem? Is that just to make the Jewish people happy? No, if you look at history, if you could bring true peace to Jerusalem, there's going to be peace in that region. So we need to be paying, praying for Israel for the peace. We need to be praying for the innocent Palestinian families and, and uh, the, the people on both sides are going to be caught up in this yeah. that are going to be uh, hurt and damaged. I, I also want to just remind us that even in recent history, uh, all around the world, there have been attempts to annihilate the Jewish people, not just during the Holocaust, but even before that, throughout different parts of Europe and the world. And, and that is something we need to understand, and that anti-Semitism, even a speck of it, can become something awful. If you haven't been to the Auschwitz exhibit at the Reagan Library, it'll be there, I think, a, a couple more months now, I would urge you to go. It's not easy. I went. It's uncomfortable. But you can see how just a hint of anti-Semitism can become a horrific right. thing by a group of people, and it's a dangerous, dangerous thing. Now, I also want to mention, how does, I have people saying, is this Armageddon? Who's the Antichrist, Pastor? How does this all work out? I don't know. 
Yep. And neither does anybody who you're listening to. Because Jesus himself said, when his disciples said, as he's about to ascend to the Father after his death, burial, and resurrection, they say, is this now the time of your kingdom? He says, that's the Father to know. What you yep. guys are supposed to do is take, when the Holy Spirit comes right. on you, take my message, be witnesses to me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. You go and be on mission to make disciples. And my Father will take care of the end. Now, uh, here at Calvary, our leadership agrees to a basic doctrinal statement. There are a lot of different opinions on a variety of uh, aspects of theology, but when it comes to end times, how God is going to sum up human history and, and uh, launch into a new heavens and a new earth and uh, a glorious new creation forever that we might call heaven, when he uh, initiates that final phase of human history that's called the end times or prophecy. Uh, and the scriptures say a lot about that, even the book of Revelation. And we here at Calvary, we, we agree in leadership that uh, Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead and that he is going to make all things new and we are going to live with him forever if we know Christ as Savior. But we have differences of opinion on the timing of that and all the different aspects of that. Um, even uh, we have different views on how God is going to work with Israel into the future. I come from a perspective that I believe God is not done with the nation of Israel. There's still stuff that's going to happen. The nations will turn against them. And that ultimately God has a special place in his heart in the wrapping up of human history and moving into eternity future, there's still something special in God's eyes about the Jewish people. But I also want us to understand that the main big message, why God puts so much prophecy in there, no matter what we understand in terms of the details, in this scary world, God wants us to know, I've got this. Mm -hmm. You don't have to panic. I've got this. You have hope in me because I'm in control. You go back to Proverbs uh, 19:21. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God is working something that only he can work that through Jesus will end up reconciling all things to himself. And we have to put our hope in the sovereignty and control and eternal purposes of our God. And I want you to remember those words and write those down, that God's got this. He's got this when it comes to Israel and the Middle East and Palestine and all the things going on there. But let me remind us as American Christians who are standing about a year away from a presidential election, all the noise is going to go up. You're going to hear all the pundits. Everyone's going to have something to say. And there will be this sneaky little message that is snuck in all the time that if this party wins or if this party loses or if this person isn't defeated, everything's going to fall apart. Everything's lost. All is lost. Let's despair. We have no hope. And Calvary Community Church, don't you listen to them. Our God is sovereign. He is seated on the throne. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And his seat is not up for election next fall or any fall. God has got this. And we as Christians have to be the people who proclaim the good news of the sovereignty of God, no matter what the season, no matter what the news headlines, no matter what's going on. We are a people who walk in confidence that whatever happens, it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And for us to experience that personally, in the things that go on in our lives, you have to be reminded that what the boss decides, what happens in the economy because of decisions made by companies and politicians and others, all those different plans that are made in a person's heart, God is working his purpose, even the details of your life, the good, bad, and the ugly, to mold you and shape you and make you like Jesus uh, so you can be a bright light and hope and peace in our world today. 
Well, principle number one is to trust God's sovereignty. Principle number two is going to bring it down to, to what our responsibility is in the midst of this. And that would be simply this, that we would walk closely with God. Since he is our hope and we can trust him and his purposes, we better get to know him, lean into him, draw our life, our sustenance, our direction, our guidance our perspective from him. And so Jesus in the upper room, as he had told his disciples he was gonna leave, he then says to them, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and you as branches need to draw all your life and your sustenance in me, dwell in me, stay connected to me, thrive in me, you'll flourish in me. So he commands us in John 15, four and five, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you know Jesus as your savior, you are a part of his vine, you are a branch. But until you put your faith and trust in the one who died, on the cross for you, who was buried in the grave for you, and who conquered death for you, you are not connected to Christ. You are not a part of that vine. You aren't a branch of the vine of Christ. But today, you can put your faith in Jesus, and you can have the hope we're talking about. Even in the midst of world circumstances and personal problems that seem overwhelming, you can have hope. Uh, Brian and I will be in the lobby. I had a, a young man come up to me after the last service, and uh, he wanted to receive Jesus. And Praise so uh, someone took him aside and I prayed with him and then he received Christ. If we can help you to see us there, you can talk to any of our care and prayer team members who are down front after the service. You can text the number 58568 and just put the name Jesus in the text. Again, just that number 58568 and you can just put Jesus in the message. We'll follow up with you. Make sure you know this hope because you're not even a branch in the vine until you come to Christ as your personal savior. And then he, he goes on to say, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, that means dwells in me, remains in me, draws sustenance and life from me. He it is that bears much fruit. You wanna flourish in life? This is how you do it. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That is a double and in some ways almost a triple negative in the original Greek. You can do absolutely nothing at all on your own to flourish. You need Jesus. And you need Jesus daily. That means open God's word. Let him speak to you. Let his spirit talk to you from his word. That means go to him with your prayers and your burdens. It means hanging out with God's people in worship and small groups and ministry, letting people speak into your life. One of the great burdens that I know you've experienced too in pastoring is when people are going through stuff and they say, I just stopped reading my Bible, stopped praying. These circumstances just drove me away from God. No, let the circumstances of our world and your life drive you deeper into your close walk with God. Yeah, I think in the seasons where life seems chaotic and overwhelming, that's the time we need to turn off the TV and open our Bible. It's the time we need to turn off our phone and actually spend some time in prayer before the Lord to walk closely with God is not to just pretend the world's not chaotic. It's to acknowledge that it is, but also to acknowledge that God meets us in the midst of that. And as we walk closely with God, that'll lead us to really our third principle here. Uh, and that's that as I'm walking closely with God, I start to anchor myself in the eternal perspective. Too many of us, as we look at the news, watch social media, deal with the stuff in our lives, are gazing at the circumstances of this world and we need to, and we're glancing at God. We need to be gazing at God and glancing at our circumstances. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, our light and momentary troubles. Now I have to stop. If you go back to chapter 10 of this same book, he's telling the Corinthian believers some things that have happened in his life. And these are the kinds of things he's gonna call light and, and uh, momentary troubles. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten, left for half dead. He was stoned, he was naked, he was hungry. He goes through all these things that happened to him 
And he says, these temporary things of this earth pale in comparison to what's being developed in me and the fruit that I'm bearing that will last for all eternity. He says, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. we got to get our eyes off the temporary stuff of this world and our eyes on the eternal stuff of our God. The writer of Hebrews says to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We need to have an eternal perspective, not just a temporary this life perspective. We need that for ourselves. We need that for our families. Yeah, I think certainly for those of us with families, if you're a parent or a grandparent, uh, this is a reminder for us of our role in the lives of our kids. I, I think particularly of kids who are maybe uh, late elementary school, middle school, high school, um, they are getting in the midst of a chaotic world a lot of opinions and worldviews and assumptions thrown at them at all times. If they're on social media of any kind, I think a good assumption would be they are probably seeing and hearing more opinions and news cycles that, than we even give them credit or understand that they are aware of. And of course, we want to try to filter and we want to try to make things age appropriate for them. But when they encounter these worldviews or when they encounter these perspectives and these emotions, our job as parents is not to control what they think or to control how they feel. We often want to reach in and just control that. Our job is actually as parents to anchor those feelings and emotions and perspectives in the truth of who God is. That as parents, our responsibility is not to make sure our kids agree with us on every single thing or to make sure they feel the way we feel about things. Our goal and our task and our mandate is to anchor them in the truth of who God is, what he's revealed in his word, who he's created us to be, and what God thinks about the world. That's what we want to anchor our children in so that as they continue to encounter new things, they're rooted and anchored in the truth of God's word and the truth of God's character. That's our job as parents in the midst of a chaotic world. We can't, we, we should filter, we should do everything we can to make it age appropriate, but we cannot protect our children forever from knowing about all of the chaos in this world, but what we can do is prepare them to be rooted in a foundation that's eternal. You know, when you think about the, uh, that our hope comes from our trust in God, our hope deepens as we walk with God, our hope is lifted when we have this eternal perspective. These things are temporary. Uh, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, the hymn writer wrote. Yeah. Uh, then, then we become more proactive even. Right. And we take that hope beyond ourselves and uh, principle number four, uh, be a peacemaker. If you want to see your hope grow and develop, and you want to be a beacon of hope at work and with your family and friends and at school, wherever your spheres of influence are, then you want to every day say, am I going to be an agitator or a peacemaker? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. Right. The children of God. And Notice, it's not, you don't become the children of God by being a peacemaker, but it's so rare in a contentious, divided world that if you have people who can listen to the other side and give a reason for their hope in a considerate, respectful, gentle way, then people go, wait a minute, that is so weird. That person, she is so strange, he is so odd because they don't want to just fight and get in my face and point their finger at me. They're not just posting these nasty posts online, they're actually trying to express to me their hope in a gentle, kind, and gracious way. That person's a peacemaker, and to be a peacemaker like that, you got to be a child of God. 
And they're going to want that from us. Well, that is the role of God in our lives. We, we sinned against God. We turned against him. We fell short of his glory. And rather than just choosing to have enmity toward us, what, what instead happens is that God sends Jesus in the world and the scriptures say to make peace by his blood shed on the cross so that the original and ultimate peacemaker is God who offers his son Jesus that we might be made right with him. And so when we turn around and make peace with others rather than making war and conflict with them, we are walking in the image of the God who sent us to be peacemakers into this world. Uh, I know this week you got an opportunity yeah. to, to, to think about that even with um, someone you got to have a, a breakfast with. Uh, for a, a few months now, uh, Rabbi Ari Averbach of Temple Etz Chaim here in Thousand Oaks and I have been scheduled to have breakfast and it got bumped and, and it ended up, it happened this Thursday and we both acknowledged this, this was a great thing and the timing was wonderful because I could talk with him as a Jewish uh, leader in our community and ask him, what do we need to hear as the followers of Christ? If I'm talking to our congregation, I had his permission to share a little bit of what he shared with me. And one of the things he talked about was that right now, uh, Jewish people feel a bit exposed. They're hearing and seeing things online. They open a feed and they see something very, uh, seems to them to be very anti-Semitic and it hits them in a different way and they know the stories from grandparents and others. Notice even how uh, different political perspectives, there's conflict even in different parts of our uh, political uh, spectrum here in the United States over people saying what my grandparents told me and I need you to see that. And he shared some of that with me and he just mentioned that, I said, well, what do we do here I'm, I'm not going to be able to go to deal with Benjamin Netanyahu and President Biden and Hamas and the UN. I'm not going to be able to be a peacemaker like that. But we talked about if you just love our neighbors. On my cul-de-sac, we have Muslim family, Christians, Jewish people on my little cul-de-sac. Right. I'm going to love all those people, including the Muslim people. But right. I, I, Rabbi Ari helped me see that right now Jewish people are feeling a sense of exposure, a level of anxiety. And he said, even if you just check on your Jewish neighbor, uh, ask how they're doing, let them know you're there if they need anything, just check on them and just be present in their lives. This is what the Old Testament, and Jesus repeated this, is we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're to love our neighbors. Now, not just the people who live next to you, the people you work with, the people you go to the gym with, the people you're shopping with, the people in our lives that are in proximity to us need us to be peacemakers, all people. And right now with what's going on in the world, we need to even be more intentional about reaching out to Jewish friends and neighbors. Uh, our Calvary Community Church family has a lot of people who have Jewish background and are yeah. Messianic believers. They've accepted Jesus as the Messiah. We have a Messianic ministry here. Yep. And they've been praying for Israel. And so we wanna show love and bring peace and people will say, that's something different, we all need that they'll recognize we're the children of God when we're peacemakers. So God makes peace with us by Jesus' blood shed on the cross, but then also invites us to have peace with one another, that he is forming and building a community, which really leads us to your fifth principle here, which is that we would cultivate courageous community. And Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Talking about us as the body of Christ. In worship, in Bible studies, in prayer groups, in small groups, uh, toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. I'm glad you're here. It's important that we're together right. in these kinds of seasons. Just our presence helps us recognize the hope we share in Jesus. As some are in the habit of doing, giving up meeting together, but encouraging one another. Are you encouraging other believers? 
You don't have to have all the answers to encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews, who is not Paul, um, I firmly believe that. I'm going to teach that soon in my New Testament overview class. But in the book of Hebrews, uh, we're being told that the more you see, it feel like things are coming to an end or there's some culmination coming in terms of prophecy. The more you see the day approaching when Jesus comes back to make all things right, the more we're to be encouraging each other inside the body of Jesus. And that takes courageous community. When Jesus said to his disciples, hey, I'm going to be leaving, and by the way, the way the world's going to know you're my followers is how you love each other, they panicked. Because they didn't get together because of each other. They got together because of Jesus. And if he's leaving, their whole focus was him. And now he says, the world's going to see that you are my followers because you love one another. And they had all political spectrums of Jesus' day among them. It'd be like today, on one end of the table, in his disciples was an Antifa guy, and on the other end was a QAnon guy. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, the way the world's going to know you're my disciples is how you love each other. And they're looking down the table at each other, are you kidding me? How does that happen? Only by us leaning in, not only to the Lord, but leaning in to the Christian community, our relationships within the body of Christ, leaning in and being intentional about being with each other, encouraging each other, building each other up. We're here to stir up hope among one another as we understand who our God is and how he is in control of all things. Well, that certainly happens in small groups. And as you continue to show up in small group for one another, as you show up in Bible studies and classes and ministry teams, this is one of the ways we love one another. And then we also want to acknowledge a group of people in this church that have been doing um, really a, a work in prayer that has been lifting and elevating our church this year. And that would be those of you who have been praying as part of our 24-7 prayer initiative. You, you may not know that for every hour of the 168 hours in this week, from the beginning of January all the way through the end of December of this year, somebody here in our church has been praying for Calvary, praying for this world, praying for the Kineho Valley, uh, and God has done amazing things through those prayers. And so again, this encouragement in the book of Hebrews that we would spur one another on begins with us praying and having a sense of who the Lord is and what he's accomplished in our life. You know, Pastor Sean, as we look around the world and we talk about these principles and we think about everything uh, that's been going on, I, I think the question, even as we wrap up a six-week series on our values and this 2030 direction and what we're all about here, I think it's possible to get through a series like this, see all the changes in the world and how chaotic it is and think, all right, let's change the direction here. But the question is this, as events in our world seem to make things more hopeless, do our 2030 values change at all? You know, I've talked about this a lot and I think no. I think the values we've gone over these last six weeks that are over there to my left, your right on the wall, those values are as important now as they ever were. Sometimes we think that the moment we're in is gonna change what we're supposed to be doing for Jesus. I love how uh, our speaker in May said, uh, Ed Stetzer said, the moment we're in does not change the mission we are on. No matter what happens in our world or in our lives, we are all here to make disciples who live in love like Jesus. The scriptures, the final words of Jesus to his disciples make that really clear. Yeah, Jesus says in Matthew 28, in this great commission he gives to his church, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I think that last part is really important for us. Jesus says, this is the mission, and the mission doesn't change until the end of the age, until I return. So I was thinking about this uh, four years ago, or uh, three years ago at this point, back in the fall 
fall of 2020, and you'll remember how chaotic that time was for everything in culture and in life and in politics. Um, And in the midst of that, as we were continuing a teaching series we were doing, we got a question and confronted in this way, and someone asked us, with everything going on in the world right now, how in the world can you just keep teaching the Bible? And our response to that was, with everything going on in the world right now, how could we do anything but keep teaching the Bible? How could we do anything but doing the mission that Jesus told us to do? Because as the world gets more chaotic, our job is not to change course or direction. It is to double down on the words of Jesus and the commands of our God. And that's what our church has done for its entire history. It's what our church will continue to do until Jesus returns. When he comes back, the mission changes. Until then, we make disciples who live and love like Jesus. And that's why these core values, our 2030 core values, are so important to us. It's all about Jesus. From 1976, when Calvary Community Church was launched uh, with a great group of folks under the leadership of Pastor Larry, uh, the focus had been make much of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Yeah, number two is that God's people delight in God's world, or God's word, uh, and in a world that has so much to say as the volume increases, as more things come into your ears, may we be a people in a chaotic world who seek after the word of God and what he has to say more than ever before, that God's people delight in God's word. And we talked about a few weeks ago, life change happens in relationship. I know my relationship and working with you and the cause of the gospel and our friendship and the other members of our pastoral team, my small group, the people that speak into my life. I know that brothers and sisters in Christ are key to my becoming who Jesus wants me to become. And so we need to understand life change happens in relationship, not just what you get out of it, but what you put into it. The fourth one is found people, find people. Right, and our desire to do evangelism well has been at the heartbeat of this church since the very beginning, that people would be uh, brought to Christ, that they would be baptized, that we would celebrate new life in Jesus. And I'm convinced in a chaotic world, that is just the seedbed for revival. I am not convinced at all that the world is just moving away from God. I think God is gonna do a new thing and a fresh thing as the whole world gets shaken up. I think there's opportunities for the light of the gospel to shine clearer than ever before. And that begins not with someone out there doing something, but with each of us, the thousands of people who call Calvary home, sharing the gospel, inviting people to church, talking about Jesus, and being found people who find other people. Then we talked about save people, serve people. We had the the opportunity in the lobby for you to volunteer, and several hundred of you volunteered that day. And if you haven't gotten a call, please reach out to us. We've tried to reach out to everyone. If you haven't gotten back to us, get back to us. Growth in like areas like children and student ministries is going like that here at Calvary. And uh, as far as volunteer growth, it was kind of going like this at the same time. So there was yeah. a gap happening, and you guys helped jumpstart that. We can, if you know Jesus, you've been saved by Him, then you want to serve other people in Jesus' name. And then finally, last week, we talked about grateful people or giving people. And really, again, in a chaotic world where there's so much need, what a wonderful opportunity for us to be generous. That if God has blessed us, if he's given us so much, we have the opportunity to be generous and make an impact in a chaotic world with the resources that God has given to us. You know, we talk about these six values. And on your way in today, you may have been heading to one of these cards that lists all those six values. You'll see it here on the screen. And if you don't have one, you can check in with our ushers on the way out. 
but really this should be a reminder to us of these six values. And what I'd encourage you to do as a next step out of this sermon is to take that card this week and to pray over it and to ask the Lord if any of these values aren't being played out in your life and if there's something God is calling you to take a next step on. Maybe you look at four or five of them and say, I'm doing well in this area. But if there's one you don't believe that you are walking in faithfulness to God on, this is an opportunity for growth for you. Because again, in the midst of a chaotic world, these values continue to push us forward as we live and love like Jesus. You know, the, as we've talked today about our scary world and how it needs us to be the hope-filled people that Jesus calls us to be, you're going to go into to different places of work or your home or someone else's home, a restaurant. You're going to be at a friend's house. You're going to be in different spheres this week. And can I just ask you to ask the question, you go, how can I be a peacemaker bringing hope into these people's lives? How can I be ready to give the reason for the hope that is within me in a gentle, gracious uh, way? Uh, how can I be a beacon of hope to family and friends today? God calls us to be those beacons of hope. You say, but I'm still struggling with how we can have hope in this world. Well, we've got to trust the sovereignty of God. We've got to lean in and get closer and walk more closely with the Lord. We've got to develop that eternal perspective, the things that will last. We've got to be peacemakers wherever we go so people would see us as the children of God, not just the same people who are part of conflict and chaos in this world. And we need and we desperately need to be a community that encourages one another, even in the various backgrounds we come from, being united in Christ and encourage each other in loving others and doing the good works that Christ calls us to do. Um, I, I've just, a lot of people will say to me, I don't know how you can have hope in the middle of this. I remember Holocaust survivor Corrie Tim Boom, after her family and friends were killed in the Holocaust. She would go around traveling. I've shared this with you before, but this is something I just keep going back to in my own life. Uh, she would hold up a stitcher as she was speaking about all the horrible things she'd experienced in life and how she could still have hope in her life. And she would say, in the backside of this embroidery piece, it looks all knotted and frayed. It doesn't make any sense. There are no patterns. You can't see anything. And she'd talk about that's how it is for us in our lives. And the stuff going on in the world, our personal lives, it looks chaotic. It doesn't make sense. And people are making decisions in their own heart, right? Like Proverbs 19.21 said. And then she'd flip it around and she'd say, but look what our God sees. He is weaving something that has purpose and design, something that's beautiful. He is working his eternal purpose to eventually reconcile all things to himself. And so as you wrestle with hope in this world, get your eyes on Jesus. Trust in God's sovereignty. And realize it looks messy from our perspective, but one day we will stand with God and say, I see exactly what you were doing. It didn't make sense then, but what a beautiful thing you have put together in accomplishing your eternal purposes. Let's keep our hope and our eyes rooted, our hope in Jesus and our eyes on Jesus as we seek to be beacons of hope in this world. Amen. Well, would you pray with me? Yeah, amen. Well, Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time together as a church today. Thank you for gathering us in the name of Jesus, the one who died and rose from the dead for our sins and for our salvation. God, thank you that you are in charge, you are sovereign, and whatever happens in this world, we can trust you. Help us to be the type of people who have hope and hold out that hope in the midst of this world, who live out the values that you've called us toward, and who move forward as a people who live and love like Jesus. Father, I want to pray a special prayer for those who are aching right now, those who have their own situation, 
situations going on, maybe that they've told no one about. God, may your Holy Spirit minister to them in this time. May they be filled with the hope that comes from Christ and Christ alone. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.